you are liable to get backhanded right off that stool if you You see if I care one bit, that's all I need. You go ahead, it'll make you feel so good. Come on, get it out of your system. Go on. If it'll make you feel good, punch me in the face. Oh, God, almighty. Mike, take some teeth out while you're at it. I still got a few left in there. The others were nice enough to leave me. Come on, I wouldn't hit come you. Come on, come I'm on. Sorry. You're sorry. for you. What are you waiting for? It's just a thing you need. Bobby is for me to spoil anybody's fun. I'm sorry. Will you listen to me? God damn it. I am sorry. So what? Oh, yeah, sorry. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined by Josiah Noor to discuss Susan Terrell's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1972 film Fat City. Josiah, good to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one. Yeah, uh, tell me a little bit about why you picked this movie to uh, to come on and talk about. Um, I guess I, I'm really interested by earlier 70s films, and um, it was between this and uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, I believe, yeah. And they're both Jeff Bridges movies, and I just, I don't know, it's something about Jeff Bridges' early career, early 70s movies really, really are interesting to me. Um, I think they're a lot slower paced, but they're also kind of uh, thoughtful. So yeah. that that's always an interesting, interesting, you know, watch. Yeah, he he, especially early in his career, but really throughout his career, has you know sought out interesting projects and interesting mm-hmm. directors, and uh, this is no exception to that. There's there's some really interesting stuff going on here with him and with the whole rest of the movie as well. But like, yeah, he he's he's an interesting presence in this movie. I'm I'm excited to get into it. This was a. Had you seen this before? This watch? No, I haven't. I haven't. Neither had um, I, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I was really sort of blown away by this one. Excited to uh, to get into it and see how we end up feeling on it. So we are talking about Fat City from 1972, directed by John Huston, written by Leonard Gardner, based on his own novel from uh, a few years prior. It stars Stacey Keach, Jeff Bridges, Susan Terrell, Candy Clark, Nicholas Colasanto, Art Aragon, and Curtis Cox. It premiered uh, May 12th, 1972 at Cannes and then opened in July of that same year. Uh, in the United States. So that is the rundown for this movie. And let's just jump right into our nominated performance here, Susan Terrell. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on this performance that she's giving here? Um, I, I liked it. I thought, I don't know if I would even say it's the strongest performance in the movie, but it's definitely one of the highlights. Um, she is super believable, I, I think. And you kind of you kind of hate her, but at the same time, you kind of like her. Um, it's a very you kind of see why both um, Stacy uh, Stacy Keach's character uh, and Curtis Koch's character Earl both kind of like her and then hate her at the same time. It's it's uh, it's a really interesting it's a really interesting character, and I'm not exactly sure what her entire place in the film is uh, thematically, but um, she's kind of like I guess the 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 hinge point for Stacy Keach's character, which is totally sort of yeah. his journey throughout the movie. So, yeah, she's it's it's a real sort of fine line she has to walk, where she's playing this character that has to be likable enough that these men, you know, sort of flock to her and mm-hmm. are kind of fascinated by her in a weird sort of way, because she's an off-putting figure. She's loud and speaks her mind, and she's an alcoholic. And yeah. she's very like turn on a whim, sort of tempestuous uh, uh, dynamic where she'll like 
go from shouting at you and being angry with yeah. you, like leaning into you and sort of crying and and fawning over you, and yes. it's a, a very, very uh, uh, hairpin turn sort of performance and sort of person. Uh, and so you get both of those dynamics where she is this, you know, sort of submissive character that that is, you know, at the whim of the men in her life, but also she doesn't take shit and she will stand up to these men and she'll shout at them and she you know gets in these fights with Stacy Keach over and over and it, in in a way that feels very realistic and feels very just like yeah. the repetitive nature of this type of relationship where they're two broken people that sort of they like come together not by any particular attraction it's just happenstance of they're both alone and they both like that's sort of where yeah. I feel she fits into the thematic. Sure, yeah, that makes movie, sense. Is yeah, that it, it. She's like the the way that he finds some sort of comfort in another person, even though he kind of can't stand her, even though they yeah. don't really fit with one another. It's still better than being alone, yeah. and she does a really good job of of making that character fit the dynamic she has to fit mm-hmm. where she is likable to a point that you would prefer her company over being alone but also yeah. still the kind of person that's going to irritate uh, mm-hmm. uh billy yeah it's it's a really good sort of uh uh performance that just grabs you from the first scene she shows up and every time she shows back up it like you're just drawn to her it's such a, a magnetic sort of performance yeah um, I think it's interesting that that this performance was nominated not because of the performance. I think the performance makes a lot of sense, but the movie itself is such an odd movie to me to get nominated for any sort of Oscar. It's it's sort of the classic like it's not very big. It's actually a very feels like a very contained small narrative. Um, you know, it, it basically the entire movie is just in you know a handful of rooms, um, and then a couple boxing scenes. But it, it's just odd to me that this is the one that you know the academy chose on and i'm glad they did i think it's great i think it's a really it's a really solid little film but um oh yeah yeah yeah. it's an incredible performance that you know this is kind of i mean i've I've talked about this a lot on my show especially with this sort of era of like early to mid 70s is that this is kind of the type of movie that does get this lone nomination i kept thinking of carnal knowledge uh which is a previous episode where she uh she's not playing a similar character to the Anne Margaret character in that one. Yeah. But like she fits a similar role. There's a few scenes of the domestic life that feel very similar to that with Nicholson sort of blowing up on her while she's sitting yeah. in bed. That felt like there's a, a, almost a one-to-one parallel scene in this where they're having a fight. She's just woken up. He gets home and like Earl, her ex-husband has come back after getting out of jail and has taken his clothes. Yeah. They start fighting and he like makes her a steak and they have a whole fight over that, (laughs) which also felt very like proto raging bull in in a specific sort of boxing movie fight over steak type. (laughs) Yeah, Um, But like she, she holds her own against this Stacey Keach performance, which we'll talk about him in a bit, but I was really wowed by his performance. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of what makes this, performance from uh, Terrell really stand out is that she is able to, you know, take it from him as much as she gives it to him in the, the sort of back and forth pugilistic relationship that they fall into. And they like, they both really build on each other's performances in a way that I think maybe hers just stands out more because his character is so reserved, but I am glad 
that a performance like this from a movie like this, that while it was, you know, critically praised, obviously it didn't take the Oscars by storm or whatever, because we're talking yeah. about it here, uh, that they were able to single out this one performance. I, I want to talk about the supporting actress race later when we get to that, because it's a really interesting race for one very specific reason. But this performance, I think, uh, is a testament to the tastes of the Academy at this time. Yeah that they're willing to look at a movie like this and pick out a performance like this from yeah. an actress who's not a star. She like had been in a handful of movies by at this point. I think she had uh, been with like Andy Warhol and a bunch of his yeah. like set. Uh, yeah. She had done three movies the year before. And then this is her, her fourth movie and she gets her Oscar nomination for it. Uh, yeah. It, it's a really interesting, there's just so many points in this movie in this performance specifically that she just commands the screen in her, her yes. very brash. She's, you know, she's playing drunk in a way that feels extremely realistic. If you've ever yeah. read this particular <laughs> yeah. type of alcoholic, it's almost too close to home. Uh, but there's just so many, like in, in the way that uh, th there's a scene that I fully wasn't paying attention to anything else other than her, even though Stacey Keach is like, talking to this other couple there's the two of them and some other couple at a mexican restaurant and he's telling this oh, yeah, story yeah. and the whole time i wasn't even paying attention to what he's talking about because you, you watch her sitting next to him just like completely toned just like zoned out just like yeah her eyes are unfocused and she's just sort of like half listening to him half not listening to him like every once in a while he'll say something and she'll like perk up and like look at him and then just as quickly defocus and it's that, like, those moments, just as much as the moments where she's, you know, threatening to stand up on the bar and or saying screw everybody directly to camera, which was just, like, so... Yeah. It's it's just a performance that rocks this movie. Yeah, uh, it does. In, in a way that, because so much of the rest of the movie is so subdued, I was she's just say, like a firecracker. It's, it's really interesting, because even the boxing scenes are pretty pretty subdued but it's like and again it's it's a very contained movie they're all always in small rooms and you know the grimy sort of 70s like kind of like that taxi driver you know the, the shitty streets you know yeah. shitty buildings poverty you know um and then she's just in the middle of it and these you know it, it's again it's like a firecracker it's 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 electric and it's interesting and it kind of gives this movie like energy where the movie needs energy and i think it's it's a really interesting sort exactly. of reason to have her in so yeah it, it, it's like a pulse through this movie that she's not so overused that she gets to be grading to the audience yeah uh, uh, so, uh, like any more than she has to be uh she she's not like and there's all they also don't use her so little that she feels out of place like she's very yeah. well integrated into this story of just a bunch of people not living the best sort of life yeah. and depending on each other without wanting to say that they're depending on each other. Yeah. And th there's just so many moments in this from her that I thought were really stellar. There's, there's a scene where, uh, uh, cause like uh, another part to this performance is that she just sort of like rambles on sometimes and says, yeah. things. like she delivers these lines that are like that mean nothing that mean absolutely nothing. They're just sort of like non sequiturs, here and there but she delivers them in a way that makes you think the character believes what she's saying in yeah. the way that a sort of like 
disillusioned alcoholic barfly does sort of you know say these these sort of nonsense things with with extreme earnestness uh there's a point where they're they're at the apartment and uh, uh billy trips over the box of earl's clothes and she says something mm-hmm. about you know you don't kick a man when he's down and he says Oh, I, I didn't kick Earl. I kicked I kicked Earl's clothes, and she says, "Well, the yeah. clothes make the man," which is like a, a sort of like I can see the logic of of following that sort of like train of thought of yeah. uh, 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 like aphorisms, but that doesn't mean anything in context. But also, it, like she is still holding on to this this remnant of her past relationships that is right there in the middle of the room, and it lets both of them know that like yeah, this is not a permanent relationship. This is not a permanent situation. We're here for each other now, but like there's always constant reminders of the past. But she's just so in a way that it almost goes roundabout to like being clever, the sort of like nonsense that she says is a very sort yeah. of uh, a fine line between uh, uh, clever and, and sort of uh, nonsense that I think she really sells uh, throughout. Yeah. It's just, okay, I, I, I don't know how else to describe this performance other than like fascinating and magnetic in that yeah i I don't understand this woman like as a person but i do because like that there's so many people like her that you just understand but you just have to like she she commands the room whenever she walks in she commands the movie whenever she's in a scene it's it's just it's really great stuff from her I, i was really taken by this performance I, I think one of the most sort of there's there's a couple scenes that lend to this. One of the most interesting aspects of her character is kind of Earl says it at the end is that he just doesn't he just doesn't pay her any mind because he just knows that she's just gonna she's gonna talk about things and say things that she doesn't mean and he he notices not to care about that. And um, one of the scenes for me that kind of really shows that is when they're in the diner and she uh, says, "Why don't you just go ram your head on the jukebox?" And um, what's his name? Uh, Tully's, uh, you know is like fine i'll go ahead and do it and then he goes and slams his head on the jukebox it's like what what did you do that for it's like she's she doesn't even kind of know what she's saying but at the yeah. same you know she's she's not she's not a like mean-spirited person as you know sometimes the things that she says would like indicate but she's rather i don't know she just kind of just says what's on her mind in a way she doesn't really mean it and that's why they kind of both men kind of are like i understand this woman but at the same time she's super confusing because you never really know if she's being you know, ingenuous or disingenuous. So yeah, and the whole like escalation of that scene because she's shown up at some point earlier in the movie with Earl, and she's like mm-hmm. talking with Billy in the bar, and then later on, Earl's in jail, and she's just sitting alone, and and Billy walks up to her, and the escalation of that scene where like they're talking pleasantly, and then she gets kind of angry, and sh- then they start like fighting back and forth, and she's telling him to punch her in the face, and he won't, yeah, and she keeps like trying to goad him into doing it. Uh, because all men, all like all white men are animals, and and yeah. he ends up knocking his head against the jukebox, and she gets mad at him for doing that, and then it, it just sort of like the the anger sort of fizzles out in real time, and they just sort of like she ends up saying like you're the only son of a bitch worth shit, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she's sort of falling for him as he's sort of falling for her, and then there was something like uh uh the the visuals of this scene because they're in this very dirty grimy dark sort of dive bar and then it cuts to them walking out of the bar and the way that like the 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 scene is shot where they're they're outside and they're like sort of hugging each other walking down the street and the contrast and like the the it's a very well shot movie conrad hall did a really good job with the cinematography you know because it's conrad hall but like 
the sky behind them is bleach white and it's all the, everything is so washed out and it feels like they're sort of like walking out into the like the way that it's lit interior wise in the the previous scene it feels like it's like late at night and then they walk out into the day and you're yes. just hit with a realization that like oh they're like this all the time this is not like late night she's drunk he's angry yeah. and they're gonna go home and work things out like no it's the middle of the day and like to the point that the sky is white it's not even like a light blue it's like pure white and she's she's you know smiling and leaning up against him and then she starts crying and says i love you so much to him <laughs> after the scene where she's like begging him to punch him punch her in the <laughs> face and it's just so sort of heartbreaking to watch these characters. I mean, the whole movie is pretty heartbreaking to watch yeah. these characters uh, live these kind of empty lives day to day. But like none more than her are, are as just, you know, captivating and just so like you, you want her, you know, you want better for her. You want better for all these people, but you know that she's not going to get it. And you know that she's not going to, She's certainly not going to be the one to ask for help if she yeah. does get to a point where she especially needs it. And just at the end of the day, at the end of the movie, like she's better off without Billy. But I, I, I don't, I don't even know what to say. It, it's, it's a, yeah. it's a movie that I still really need to mull over in my head. Mm -hmm. Like I watched it yesterday and I slept on it and I read some more about it this morning. And it, there's just so much going on. Like it, it says so much with so little in her performance and in the whole movie that I, I'm just, I've I really sort of fell in love with this one, this performance, yeah. this movie, the whole thing. And boxing is such a, a cinematic sport. And I think it's such an interesting, I feel like whenever you see a boxing movie, it's always something like Rocky or Raging Bull or even Cinderella Man, something like, where it's a big stage it's a big fight and here it's it's people who don't make it and i think that's such an interesting i mean there's a lot of sports movies about you know it's kind of it's kind of like inside lou and davis but with boxing right yeah it's, oh wow yeah that's a that really good comparison it's the people that don't make it and you know you always see the glamour in the show but here it's just the guys that you never hear of the, you know in this kind of crummy little town and i guess i also kind of drew comparisons to the last picture show sort of yeah. in the way I mean, obviously, the obvious connection is they're both, you know, early 70s Jeff Bridges, but it's sort of like these, you know, people that are just going nowhere um, yeah. in some town that's, you know, made of basically, you know, just dirty forgotten, and forgotten. filthy, forgotten, forgotten. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Which I think just like to tie it back to one last thing with Susan Carell uh, before moving on to the rest of the movie, because I have a lot of thoughts. Uh it is a really fascinating choice to have, you know, this boxing movie where you have like the most like violent and, and, and combative sport. And like the biggest bits of violence are from this woman that is completely yes. removed from, like the biggest, like loudest moments, the biggest, uh, uh, like, uh, the, I, I, you know what I'm trying to say? Like the biggest yeah. bursts of energy in this boxing movie are from a woman that is, never on frame with anything related to boxing yes yeah uh anything else on her and her performance before we move on to some of the rest of the movie um no i i, I do like what you said about her being the kind of like the main point of energy like i she's always more i guess 
you're always expecting more explosiveness out of her than you are out of any of the fights, even though, you know, you're here for the boxing sort of. And I think yeah. that's, that's really an interesting way. Um, you know, he's not afraid to, to fight basically, but he's, you know, she's the one that drives him crazy. She's the one that makes him, you know, upset and angry. It's not boxing. It's, it's kind of his loneliness in his home life sort of thing. Exactly. And I think that's, that's interesting. So exactly. How'd you like to wake up in the morning and be him? Before you can get rolling, your life makes a beeline for the drain. Thanks. Thank you. Baby's happy. Maybe we're all happy. Like that is kind of what, uh, or at least how I feel like the whole what the whole movie is trying to say uh, yeah. is you know tying these thoughts of loneliness and, and of what you were saying about like glamour and the lack thereof. That like these are boxers. These two leads, the the uh, the Stacey Keach and the Jeff Bridges characters are. To a to some extent, professional boxers that don't treat it like they they treat it like a job. They treat it like, uh, by the end of the of the movie, they are picking up occasional fights in the same way that they will sometimes you know go out and you know work the fields. Like the, yeah. these are this is not the, the, what am I trying? They're both uh, neither one of them by the end of the movie are holding on to the thought that they're going to make it. And yeah. that is something that both characters sort of at the beginning of the movie to some degree feel like they have in them. And it's it's sort of knocked out of them, no pun intended, in, <laughs> in a really sort of bleak way that I, I thought was really well done. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Uh, which of them, do we want to talk about their performances? Do, do you want to talk about one of them before the other? Any Any preference where we um... start? I actually, there's some, there's a minor role that I want to highlight before you get anything else. And that's Sixto Rodriguez is Lucero. I think it's the only movie he's credited in um, based on what I'm looking for right now. And he plays such a minor role. And I think it's such an, an incredible inclusion by uh, Houston to, to put him in the movie. And the only things you really see of him is the fight when he has with, with Tully near the end. Um, and the part when he comes to town and he's lying in his hotel room and he goes up to the toilet and he pees blood. And then the only other part you see of him is when he's leaving the arena after Tully's won, beating him in the fight, and he just walks out on his own. And I think he kind of gives you another perfect. It's not just these two guys that are like this. It's it's everybody who's in the same situation. They're they're all lonely. They're all sort of alone. Um, You know, this this isn't easy for you know any of them. They're all, and, and I think that's just he. Even though he doesn't really say anything, it's such a minor you know a little minor performance. But I think it's such a a brilliant inclusion thematically for the movie of yeah. sort of this loneliness that it's like, you know, it's, it's pervasive through everyone, not just, not just the leads and not just the people that are, you know, in this town. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really, you know, uh, striking sort of observation. Like so many, there's, there's a lot of 
boxers in this movie. A lot of yeah. actual boxers filling out the cast, including Curtis Cokes, who plays Earl, who's not a boxer, uh, the character. Uh, he's just, you know, a, a sort of soft-spoken man that is kind of under the thumb of uh, of Oma, the Susan Terrell character. But, you know, he is content with that and is happy living his life with this woman that he he kind of, uh, you know, kowtows to or or what have you. Um, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of those minor characters that I think really work to fill out the, the overarching uh, theme of the movie. There's the boxer at the fight that Jeff Bridges is, uh, his first fight backstage where there's the other boxer on the team that's talking about like, all you have to do to win a boxing match is to want it and to want to win and to have like the will to win. Uh, and Bridges just doesn't really hear it. Doesn't really understand what this guy is yeah. trying to tell him. And then goes in for the fight and gets knocked down in the first like 20 seconds. Yeah. And like that has a lot of, you know, implications with his character. And does he really want it? Is this the right life for him? And as yeah. it turns out, no, he's like, he like gets out of it. He He's able to, you know, have a better life. He has a wife and a kid and he's, you know, changed by the end of the movie in a way that Billy never was, even though there's only 10 years between them. Like Bridges is 18 and Keech is like 30, the characters at least. And there's a world of difference between them that is incredibly, like like the contrast between them is really sort of uh, uh, yeah. painted really well. And end. I think uh, another interesting part about that scene when the guy says you got to really want it is when they're when they're in the I, I think it's a Mexican restaurant after after they all fight and you see the guy and his face is the guy that really wanted it. And his face is all swollen up. Yeah. And you know that he lost his fight, too, even though, you know, he did really want it. And again, that's just another another, you know, mark of sort of the, you know, this this lifestyle that everyone's kind of the same. And I guess that's the whole point of the movie is that all these people are kind of in the same boat. Um, yeah you know like when you even, get to the end and you're like jeff bridges is you know he's living the same path as as stacy keach's character even though he's um, gotten out even though he's more or less gotten out of boxing he's still on the same path yes even though his circumstances are different they're all still on the same path yeah and that's kind of just how life is like it, it's not just this one isolated community of small-time yeah. boxers that have to deal with aging and isolation and not being able to really properly uh, connect with people. That's just life. And it's its an incredibly sort of depressing movie when you look yeah. at it that way. Like, by the end of the movie, the, the final scene, not to jump around too much, but, like, the end of the movie is uh, uh, Keach and Bridges sitting in this diner at, like, the middle of the night, and their waiter is this super old man, and they're both sort of, like, laughing at him a little bit. Uh, like, I wonder if he was ever old. No, or if he was ever young, yeah, he probably never was. And then, like, well, maybe he's happy. Yeah, maybe we're all happy. And like, the old man is, you know, kind of. He smiles at him, and he seems content. And you see these groups of like old men playing cards in the back of the place, and Keach just sort of like focuses in on them, and realizes like, well, yeah, they're they're with other people, and that's really all that matters. And he doesn't have anyone, and that's really all that like he he won his match he yeah. won his boxing match and thought you know well maybe this is gonna bring me to glory maybe this is what i need but he only ends up getting a hundred bucks out of it and yeah 
no greater career opportunities. And all, all that he's left with is this kid that he saw potential in and was wrong about that too. Yeah. And, and Bridges goes to leave and he says, well, no, can you stick around and talk a little bit longer? And he stays and they don't talk. And I like, that was, I think, yeah, not just, can you stay around for a while? Can you stay around and talk? And they don't talk. He, he stays, but they don't talk. And like, that's what the movie leaves you with. And it's, it's really, I don't, I don't know how to describe the sort of feeling of it, but like being either way, he's not saying anything. It's just a matter of yeah. is he with this person or not. And it's the company that matters regardless of whether anything comes of it. It's just nice yeah. to be around other people. And that's mm-hmm. everything that was happening with uh, Oma, everything that's, that Bridges is going on uh, with, with Candy Clark and just, it's all just about, you know, isolation, which I think it really ties in with, like the, that inside Lewin Davis comparison you made is really apt because it's like, that's all about, you know, the, the, the finality of loss of that type of companionship. Yeah. And yeah. The ending to this movie, I, sorry. I know I just skipped over most of the movie to get to that, but like, yeah, it's really striking stuff. Yeah, it really is. Um, what? Another another scene that I I, I kind of found interesting, and I I'm not exactly sh- well actually no I'm not I am sure it's something else that I want to talk to about about this whole thematic thing is sort of Jeff Bridges' character and his his wife. It's the same thing. You can tell Jeff Bridges doesn't care about her that much. He's not really invested in her, and she's kind of pushing for them to get married. And he's like, well, I don't know. Um, and he ends up getting married and it's the same thing that you've been saying this whole time of, of really all it boils down to is that people just want companionship. Yeah. Even if kids. it's not the right person. Yeah. They're kids. Yeah. They're, all, they're like 18. Yeah. She was a virgin before uh, they, they like have sex in a car in the middle of nowhere, in the <laughs> middle of the night in like the pouring rain. And yeah, he, he he's not sure about anything. He's hesitant to like, once he finds out that she was a virgin, he gets sort of weird about that once she's like kind of not pressuring him into proposing, but like, like talking about that in a way that he's very clearly just trying to avoid talking about any sort of long-term thing. But by the end of the movie, they're married and they have a kid (laughs) and he's also kind of avoiding going home to them because he's, you know, he, he, he was pressured almost not by her, but by just like the, the impending loneliness and uncertainty of the future. And, he's no better off than Billy is just because he's, you know, younger and has a, a slightly brighter future than this washed up boxer who, who and, tried and failed. Like, and you've got to remember too about, about Billy is that he was in the same spot that Jeff Bridges character was. Remember he, he was a good fighter. He was married to a, a you know, a, a somebody, you know, and yeah. then all of a sudden he started losing fights and she left him. And then he became this, this drunk, you know, has been boxer. Um, and so yeah. you're kind of wondering, will Jeff Bridges kind of end up? Cause Jeff Bridges, you know, at the end he says, I, I want a decision. Um, so he's not maybe the greatest boxer, you know, he didn't knock this guy out and we've he's a bad boxer. He's a, he's a bad boxer almost, but you can, you know, he, he's an okay enough boxer that it seems like he can get by on it. Um, and you're just wondering, you know, how long until this falls apart for him and he's just like, you know, Stacey Keach's character. Yeah. Um, it's the cycle of things. It's like, just a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, a pretty quick matter of time too, because like Stacy Keach is twenty nine. 
his character is at least. I don't yeah. know how old uh, Stacy Keach actually was, but like he's twenty nine, and and uh, Ernie, the Jeff Bridges character, is eighteen, and there's like barely a decade between them, and such a, a complete world of experience between them that could easily happen to Ernie, could easily fall on him in an instant in the same way it, it happened. Like what happened to, to Billy was just a quick succession of bad situations where his wife left him and a uh, uh, coach from cheers sent him down to this fight in Panama where the <laughs> fighter like cut him with a, like a razor blade in his glove and just sort of like took him out of commission for a while. And his whole career was lost from that. Yeah. And it's, it's just, you know, not necessarily his own fault, but not, not his own fault. It's yeah. just the way of life. And he's constantly trying to ignore that. Like he is, you know, talking, always talking about how he's going to get back in shape and quickly abandons that. And he's, you know, telling him like, the the scene at the YMCA where where they first meet and they start sparring and then he pulls a muscle and they start talking afterwards and and uh, Billy's like hey yeah go go see my old trainer uh by the and he you know introduces himself and he's like oh yeah I saw you fight once and Billy's like oh did I win and he's like <laughs> no and like uh, I, I don't just his legacy is is imperfect in a way that he sort of paints over when he's like he's talking about it like. Nobody could ever hit me. I was the top yeah. of the game. But like there's no evidence to support that at all. He's just sort of like has his glory days that he's looking back on with rose-colored glasses. And when they come back, when when he's in that fight at the end that he ends up winning. The shot uh like the close-up shot of him sitting in the corner where where while they're bandaging up the cut on his uh on his forehead and yeah. he's just you like you could see in his eyes he's feeling absolutely nothing. There's just yeah. a, a complete emptiness to his face that's so vividly harrowing that like even this this thing that he's been trying to achieve this whole time that he thinks if I can just do this, if I can just get back in the ring and win a fight, everything's going to be, you know, everything's gravy. And he gets in there and he's doing it and it's just emptiness. And yeah. he's been fighting for the wrong thing this whole time. And it's it's just really, really impressive to be able to pack all of this really intense sort of observations about life and aging and relationships and all that into this very small, like not just the fact that it's 90 minutes or so. Yeah. Just like it's very small scale. There's no high stakes. There's not a real plot to speak of. Yeah. But there's just so much going on just below the surface that is, you know, you you have to commend the the direction and the writing. It it's not yeah. like a, a very overly directed movie. Like the boxing scenes no. especially. Uh like that's a thing you can point to in a lot of boxing movies as oh, it's really well directed. Look at this, the way yeah. they handled this boxing scene. And they're all real bare bones here. They're all like that you're barely ever in the ring during a fight. It's mostly from afar. And there's not a, a lot of like quick cuts or whatever. It's very uh, uh, unflashy, and yet, and, yeah. And yeah. I think I, I think part of the reason it's so unflashy is you kind of see how how I guess amateur it is in a way because they're not good boxers. 
you're not, you know, you're not seeing like these incredible boxes you're seeing, you know, and sort of the long takey sort of wide shot. You, you get to see all of it. You know, they, they grab each other a lot. They're just hitting each other inside the stomach. Nobody's really hitting any big blows, no big punches. Um, and I think really one of the best, the best parts of the movie um, in terms of like the thematic things again is when Stacy Keach's character wins the fight. And the first thing he says to his trainer is, uh, did I get knocked out? Yeah. And it's like, does, he doesn't, he doesn't really even care. He wasn't even paying attention during the fight. He was just fighting to do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, interesting thing about that, by the way, the, the part in that fight, I think it is where Keach does get knocked out uh, and then gets back up. That was an unscripted moment where uh, uh, the other boxer accidentally did actually knock him out. And they kept mm. it in the movie. I, I thought that was an interesting sort of yeah, that is side note there. Um, we haven't really talked all that much about Keech's actual performance, but it's really, really intensely well observed. I feel yeah, like. it is. You you can tell uh, uh, something that I read is that originally Houston wanted Brando uh, for this role. That'd be interesting. And he like said he would get back to him about it. Said he he needed to like mull it over. And Houston, from that response, was like, oh, well, he, if he doesn't really want it, we can move to someone else. And they went to Stacey Keach. And I feel like it is, you know, he's, you know, a, a generally a pretty underrated actor, uh, yeah. especially in film. Like, he has a, a more sort of storied and, and lauded theater career. But yeah, he's not an actor that gets brought up as often, uh, especially in terms of his peers from this era with, like, Nicholson and De Niro and Pacino and that sort of, yeah. like, this type of rugged 70s leading man but this is a, a performance that really wowed me with the the lengths that he goes to with so little doing so little yeah doing so much with so little and um it's it, i would say he he might be the strongest performance in the film to me um he's i don't i don't know how to say it exactly it's not a powerhouse performance like um, Susan Terrell's is. It's not one that's gonna that's gonna grab you uh, right off the bat. But it's 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 quiet and it's quiet in the right ways. It it makes you pay attention to him, and he has his moments where he does kind of blow up a little bit. Um, but you can kind of real really burn. yeah, it's a real slow burn. And the thing you kind of just you kind of just get at the end again is is you know he's kind of just he's just life has passed him by, and that's kind of what he's kind of coming to grips with, I guess. And um, he keeps thinking that maybe it's not, maybe it's not. That's why he, get, you know, he says, you know, I'll, I'll train, I'll get better, I'll, I'll be able to do it this time. And then kind of at the end, you just, you know, when when he's, you know, drunk and he runs into um, Ernie, Jeff Bridges' character, you're just like, yeah, he's he's kind of he's kind of accepted this now. This is sort of like the end for him. He's not he's not boxing anymore. He doesn't say it to Ernie anymore. He just says, you know, you know how good I was. It's not it's not you know it's no more like uh i can continue doing this i'm, I'm gonna try it again it's you know he uses the word was this is yeah. his past this is where he is now he's accepted it yeah, um, he, he ends up just with nothing with no yeah. career because you know the 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 biggest sort of like fuck you of the movie is that at the end of this fight that he's won uh Coach from I don't remember the name of the character the uh, Nicholas Colasando character Ruben. is trainer Ruben yes yeah his trainer is like yeah well I, I fronted you all this money and I like you know have been helping you out with all this so here's a hundred dollars of the winnings from this fight 
that's as much as I can give you based on how much you owe me and how much I've, you know, helped you through all this. And it's shitty and kind of shady, but like that at the end of all this, he gets a hundred dollars. He gets a single bill for his, his win. And he's like, that's really the sobering moment of, yeah, there's nothing for me at all. Like, yeah, he's, he's impoverished. His apartment looks like shit. He's, you know, working the, he's going down to like the daily work, like work in the fields, work, picking up trash or whatever, just all this like very menial blue collar stuff. Yeah. And that's all that's left for him after this fight that probably pays him better than what he got for this fight. And (laughs) he just has nothing to turn to. He goes back to, to pick up his clothes from Oma's house in the same way that Earl did. And now Earl is back living there and he's picking yeah. like, it. Like he doesn't even have that. She's angry. At, like she doesn't even show up. She's just a voice off screen yelling at him. But like he, he doesn't even have that to go back to. He he can't even go back to Oma. Yeah. This woman that he's kind of hated. She still ends up better off than he does. And, and I, I think it's actually kind of a sweet moment though. Is she kind of with Earl. I, I think. Yeah. It's, you know, Earl, Earl kind of understands it. And that's, that's like the only time in the film where you kind of see the people like actually, I don't want to say talk about it, but because they're not that nobody really talk again, nobody talks about it. Everybody kind of internalizes this, this, you know, loneliness sort of thing. But Earl kind of, he just, you can see he gets it. He's talking to him and he's, you know, explaining why he feels the same way. And, you know, you know, let me give you your shirt because, you know, I have plenty, but you, you know, this is yours. And yeah. it's, it's kind of like compassion. It's like the only time, you know, he's shown compassion in the whole film. And I, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting moment between yeah. the two guys. So, yeah, it, just... it is. I did really like that moment. You're, you're, you're right to point that out. That's a really well done moment of sincerity that he does not internalize and he does not take the lesson of going forward. <laughs> yes, that is uh, true. Yeah. Uh, what else about There's the Chris Christopherson song that, plays throughout that uh is really well utilized uh help me make it through the night that like bookends the movie and pops yeah. up here and there that uh, it, it's a really good sort of like melancholy song to yeah. tie together this just total like ennui that the whole movie is kind of getting at that i think is it, really it, well done. it reminds me actually it, it the whole movie and i haven't thought of this until just now but it, that song kind of reminds me of how they use the uh Nisselson song and um uh, midnight cowboy yeah um, and it's sort of the same thing it's actually it's very similar to the same thing it's sort of the you know the same sort of everybody's kind of got a you know kind of got a dream and they kind of got to come to terms with this is how life is and it's it's a very 70s sort of downer you know early 70s downer ending nobody's yeah. happy you know you kind of get the feeling that this isn't going to go well um yeah. you know in the end for anybody and I, I i just think it's a really interesting movie especially for somebody like houston to 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 direct i think that's it's a really you know, if you if I knew nothing about this movie and you asked me who directed it, never in a million years would I say, you know, Houston, because of all his, you know, his old, you know, Humphrey Bogart classics that he directed. This is such a this is such an odd counterpart to, you know, like the Maltese Falcon or Key Largo or the Treasure Sierra Madre. Yeah. Um, such a different sort of movie. And I think it's it's a really interesting addition into his career. Uh, yeah. Well. And from what I read, this comes at, in his uh, career after like a long string of flops. Like, yeah. A lot of movies that, uh, you know, critics didn't like, that didn't make any money, that didn't really stick in the culture. And so this, you know, people kind of uh, looked skeptically at this movie coming out. Like, 
oh, here's another John Huston movie no one's going to go see. And then yeah. from what I read, like uh, it, pl- I didn't, I don't think it played in competition at Cannes. I couldn't find any int- uh, any, you know, uh, literature about that. But it did play at Cannes. And kind of got hailed as like the surprise coming out of that festival. Like yeah. the one that nobody expected to be good. And then everyone saw it and everyone was like, oh, this is really good. Like the uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum, his like can wrap up for that yeah. year. I read his uh, uh, his uh, coverage of the festival. And it's the first section of the, of the overall article is like out of every movie that I saw, like the one here uh, of the 34 films that I stayed to the end for, only one seemed to have the earmarks of an old-fashioned classic. Uh, curious enough, this came from neither Hitchcock, nor Fellini, nor Skolomkowski, nor Altman, but from John Huston, a director who has remained in limbo for so long that until Fat City, it was hard to remember he still existed. Like, yeah. that's the point in his career that he was at with, like, Reflections in a Golden Eye and uh, yeah. what else was around that era. Uh, let me pull up his filmography. Uh the Bible in the beginning and the Kremlin letter and a walk with love and death. Uh, and he did part of that casino Royale comedy. in the <laughs> 70s. Oh yeah. Like it had been a while since there was a movie of his that people really cared about. And this movie like brought him back and sort of ushered in the late stage of his career with like it, it man it who did. would be King yeah. all the way up through the dead. And, you know, Percy, Percy's honor too. Um, yes. He had that a couple of years ago. And that's, it's, you know, it basically just, I guess, sparked his career. And I, I didn't even know he did the man will be King until I, I was looking at his filmography yesterday. I was like, Oh, he did that as well. Um, so that's, that's a cool Why I have a question because you, you've, you know, you've clearly read some stuff. Did you find anything on why it's called fat city? Cause I'm not sure. I couldn't I find think that. it's like slang for like the good life and like, Oh, you want to be living in fat city. Like you want to be oh, that makes like, sense. Yeah. And, and it's like what they're all striving towards. And then when you look at the actual city in the movie, it's all like, uh, is it, is it Stockton, California? Where, where is this set somewhere around there? Yeah. Stockton it's, is, yeah. is like super. I, I, I think the, cause the book was written in 1969 and, uh, or at least that's when it was published. And like the actual place where it's set, the actual neighborhoods had all been torn down in between when it had been written and when the movie came out. Like that's the degree of poverty we're talking yeah. about that. Like they had to film it in other neighborhoods because the original, original neighborhood was so impoverished and run down that it got torn down within like the 10 years that it was yeah uh, uh, taking place. Uh, so like, it, it's just like the, the ultimate irony of, Oh, they're all hoping for this greater life and look at the situations they're in, which also uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up in particular is the Conrad Hall cinematography. I mentioned him earlier, but like, yeah, the colors being so washed out in this, uh, orange I, I think it, and brown and yellow. It's yeah, it's like a Reese's peanut butter cup of depression. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, I think it was maybe in the Rosenbaum piece, or maybe it was in the Ebert review, uh, talking about how like the color palette of this movie acts in like the same way, uh, achieves the same thing that like the black and white of like forties movies doing the same thing yeah, uh, would do that. Like it makes everything feel so drab and just lifeless. And uh, they're not wrong. Like watching this, the visuals of this movie feel so, especially in the age of, of, like the way that all movies look now, like 
it feels so sort of alienating to have the film stock look the way that it does in this, where it's all very bright and and muted, but still colorful. And yeah, no, it, it just, it looks really good. It's a movie that looks really good to a very specific purpose. Um, and I, I think, I think there's a couple interesting things about it. One of the things I noticed is um, they're never really outside other than the scene, uh, you know, of people you know entering and exiting doors. And when they leave the bar, there's almost no, you know, real outside time, except for maybe when they're in the fields working, right? Yeah. It's, it's a very claustrophobic movie. Almost every scene is indoors in these little tight rooms that are, you know, dirty and, and, you know, brown. Um, and, you know, the only time that they, you know, they really seem kind of, again, when they're free is when they're with, you know, people that they're, you know, friends with is like when him and Jeff Bridges are having their conversation outside picking walnuts, you know, you get the blue sky up above. Yeah. Or um, when him and Oma kind of, you know, find each other for the first time, they're outside again. I think that's just a, like a mini, a little mini theme that I, I noticed. And I don't know if, you know, that was the, the intention, but to me, that that's what it, that's what it signified is sort of like every time they're outside, they're kind of, they're kind of free, but you know, whenever they're inside, they're either alone or they're, you know, upset. It's, it's, yeah, it's a very yeah. claustrophobic little movie. So yes, even when they're inside with the other people. Yeah, with like, people. When, like the apartment that he's that uh, Billy and Oma have together is so confining and tiny and like again I'm thinking back to the the fight scene where they're like like fighting over the plate of steak because he wanted her to eat it and she didn't want to eat it and then she's like fine I'll eat it and now he doesn't want her to and they're like <laughs> having like a tug of war over this plate with this like overcooked steak that doesn't even look good yeah. Um, like that it there it's like the the framing of that apartment feels so compact and so just like suffocating yeah, no, yeah. That, that you are you are uh, a a good observation for sure uh is there anything else about the movie itself uh or do we want to move on to some oscar stuff um i i think last thing i'll say about the movie i think the marvin hamslish is one of those people that i really trust with my with my musical decisions. And I think he did a great job with all, you know, a lot of the, he picked a lot of like sort of country covers of, of classics, uh, yeah. you know, classic songs. Like, you know, he plays baby I'm yours when you're in the bar and it's sort of this twangy little, um, and there's no score to this movie except for the Chris Christopherson song, but all the, all the song choices are all, you know, kind of classic late sixties, early seventies love songs. Um, and I think that's just, you know, again, it's, it's clearly of the time, but at the same time, the way he, he, you know, arranges them or the covers he chooses of, of like, they're all these sort of twangy country. They're not the originals. They're not like these, you know, big produced songs. They're like, you know, sort of, I yeah. guess, run down, run down versions of these, these classic songs. It's, it's just, it's interesting to me. And I, I'm a big fan of Hansel. She, he's got an EGOT. He's obviously a very talented person, but yeah. Um, yeah, it, it sounds like the kind of music that these characters would be listening to. And again, that's part of the reason, again, I thought of The Last Picture Show is sort of like this, you know, country, you know, back roads, nobody listens to this music. You know, these aren't, these aren't, these are the popular songs, but they're not the real songs. You know, they're, they're a cover. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, yeah, that's about all I can say about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, and in that case, uh, do we want to move on to some Oscar stuff? Yeah. The ladies nominated for the best performance by an actress in a supporting role are Jeannie Berlin in The Heartbreak Kid, Eileen Heckert 
in Butterflies Are Free, Geraldine Page in Pete and Tilly, Susan Terrell in Fat City, Shelley Winters in The Poseidon Adventure. Okay. So as far as a uh, precursor attention that this movie got, there's actually uh, an interesting sort of story here uh, that I maybe had read somewhere and forgotten, but because it sounded vaguely familiar. But at the uh, New York Film Critics Circle, uh, Susan Terrell was a runner-up uh, along with Ida Lupino for Junior Bonner. They both lost to, or not lost to, but they, they were runner-up to Jeannie Berlin for The Heartbreak Kid, uh, yeah. but also at New York. Uh, in the in the best actor race went through like multiple rounds of voting because in the initial round of voting, Stacy Keach got the most votes uh, in best actor, but yeah. he didn't have a majority of the votes. Like they, the votes were spread very thin, so he got the most, but not a majority. And there was yeah. like a, a vocal group of voters that were like, "Hey, the we need to like." Uh, make an addendum to the rules that the winner has to also have a plurality. It can't just be the the most votes. It has to be majority or whatever. Uh, and so they did a second round of voting. And in the second round, Marlon Brando came out on top uh, with yeah. Keach trailing. But still, Brando didn't have the majority either. And I don't know how they came to this conclusion, but the compromise winner that they ended up going with uh, was Laurence Olivier in Sleuth. So, <laughs> and, and in like the official vote t tally, Keach isn't even listed as a runner-up because it's uh, Brando, and who was the other one? Actually, let me pull that back up. Chino. No, it was it was someone That's totally weird. outside of the Oscar uh, conversation. I feel like it was James Mason in a movie called Child's Play <laughs> that is at a boarding school, a Sydney Lumet movie. Oh, interesting. Uh, I've never heard of that. Neither have I. But it looks kind of cool. It's a James Mason, Robert Preston, Bo Bridges movie. That could be interesting. And Brando originally signed on for the for the uh, uh, Robert Preston role in that. So wild. A lot of Brando almost in this year, which is <laughs> also interesting to think about how the original person that they wanted for Vito Corleone was Laurence Olivier, which is yeah. a fun sort of compliment there. Uh, but anyway, uh, also, as far as precursor stuff, at the National Society of Film Critics, the supporting actress uh, lineup, uh, again, Jeannie Berlin wins, tied in second place, Susan Terrell and Ida Lupino, and then Sybil Shepard in, uh, uh, why can't I remember the movie that Sybil Shepard was in this year? I didn't write it down. I should have written it down. Where Who, what, who won? Oh, Aline Eckhart. Yes, yes. Um, have you seen Butterflies Are Free? I have. I watched it for this as well. I uh, I just want to look up, what, what am I forgetting? Uh, supporting actress. Let's see, so, Geraldine the Page. Oh, the Shepherd and the Heartbreak. Yeah. Of course, of course. Um, and then uh, uh, Harriet Anderson in Cries and Whispers. Uh, and then it gets some other stuff, like uh, the Kansas City film critics Stacey Keach and Marlon Brando win Best Actor, uh, gets some other citations at film festivals it plays uh but that's really it this movie didn't get a ton of you know uh press uh, uh from like the major like it didn't get bafta or golden globe nominations yeah. or anything um but that is you know susan terrell shows up a few places stacy keach shows up at a few critics places uh and that's really all you have 
uh, with that. But yeah, let's talk about this supporting actress race that we actually got at the Oscars. Do you know what the the uh, little tidbit about this race is? No, I don't. I didn't know I this until I was that. doing research, and it sort of, you know, I scratched my head at it at first because it sounds wrong, but this is apparently the only supporting actress race in the entire history of the Oscars that doesn't have any Best Picture nominees represented. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, because you have uh, Butterflies Are Free, Fat City, Pete and Tilly, The Heartbreak Kid, and The Poseidon Adventure. Uh, yeah. The Poseidon Adventure gets like eight nominations, but not Best Picture. But it feels like that's a thing that would have happened at least one other time, right? I Yeah, it does. It really does. Because uh, usually, and I'm surprised Talia Shire didn't get a, get a nomination. Yeah, Talia Shire or yeah. Diane Keaton in The Godfather, Marissa Berenson yeah. in Cabaret. Like, there's, it's not that none of these uh, Best Picture nominees had like major supporting actress performances. It's just that none of them got nominated for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but and I, I think that's fun. I think that's a fun thing to do, too. It I is, think it yeah. makes it more interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, have you seen uh, any or all of these other nominees that we have? I here? have seen parts of The Heartbreak Kid and The Side Adventure, but I have not actually seen, I have never seen uh, Butterflies Are Free or Pete and Tilly. So, uh, yeah. Going into this, I had seen those same two. I'd seen The Heartbreak Kid and The Poseidon Adventure, and I watched Butterflies Are Free for this. I haven't seen Pete and Tilly. Uh, I don't think that's one that I'm, no, because that got a, a screenplay nomination as well. Uh, so maybe someday I'll get to it, uh, but I just, you know, it didn't, from what I read, it seems like she has a kind of a small part in it, and it's not that interesting from some of the reviews that I read of her yeah. performance, so I didn't make it a priority, but I will say The Heartbreak Kid is, or not The Heartbreak Kid, uh, uh, but also, yeah, The Heartbreak Kid is great, but um, uh, Butterflies Are Free is pretty good, and Eileen Heckert is really good in it. Like, that's a very deserving win. Yeah. I, have, I know nothing about that movie, so... <laughs> it's it's about um, uh, Goldie Hawn moves into this apartment and sort of uh, meets the, the guy next door who's this very charming young man, and eventually she comes to find out that he's blind, and he's moved out from under his, like, domineering mother for the first time. Yeah. And the first half of the movie is the two of them getting to know each other and, like, flirting with each other. And then the second half is his mother coming over and sort of, like, not wrecking things but like shifting the dynamics and and it's a really interesting movie doesn't always work some of it gets a, a bit like heavy-handed and, and tear-jerkery but eileen heckert is really fantastic it is a very deserving win that i was uh uh surprised by how much i liked her performance uh yeah because it, it seems like is the she movie, the mother yeah she's the mother she's uh uh but it's a more interesting version than what I was going into it expecting, where, like, everything that I had heard about her was that, oh, she's, you know, this absolute, just, like, ruthless mother that is, you know, not fully abusive, but, like, very demanding and all this. Yeah. And then you watch the movie, and it's a much more layered character than that. And there's, yeah. you know, she's playing a... She's not playing a monster. She's not playing, like, this evil witch that is just demanding yeah. everything of her son she's she's there's more to her than that that i was i was maybe that's what i was so taken by but it's a really good performance from her and uh you know the the thing with this lineup is it's five character actresses essentially as it well shelly winters had been a star but at this point in her, her career she's more of a character actress 
And they're all doing really interesting things that feel kind of not what your typical Oscar-nominated performance is going to be. That I, I don't know. I, I think this is a really cool lineup. It is. So, it is. Because yeah. none of these movies are movies that, I mean, maybe even even like the Poseidon or the Heartbreak Kid, I guess, because Lillian May people. Um, uh, but like none of these movies are movies that are, are considered you know, even cult classics, really, they're all kind of, and I don't want to say they're forgotten because, you know, obviously we're talking about them now, but they're not movies that, that when you think of, you know, 1972 or even, you know, the early seventies, you're ever going to think of these movies. And I think that's just, it's a really cool, because a lot of times great movies are forgotten. You know, there's so many movies that I've never heard of, you know, or, you know, that I've never thought of that I, that I end up turning on and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. How come people haven't talked about it? Um, you know, really the only two that I, I, I've heard of, I suppose, you know, I've heard of the Poseidon adventure. I've heard of the heartbreak kid. I've heard of fat city, but like Pete and Tilly and butterflies are for free or, or two movies as somebody who likes a lot of seventies movies or two movies that like, I'm, I'm not familiar with at all. Um, and so I think it's, a, it's a really cool, you know, I, I wish, I wish they did this, you know, more often, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in a year like this where everything is so dominated by the Godfather and cabaret, Yeah, like to have a, a lineup that doesn't have, any nominations from either of them like it's mm -hmm. how many of the major categories like not counting foreign language and documentary like how many categories this year actually don't have either the godfather or cabaret in them yeah this might well original song doesn't have either because uh, <laughs> i don't think any of the cabaret songs would have been eligible and uh original score doesn't have either because the godfather score was ineligible for some reason or something. God, the Godfather. When you look at it, when you look at the below the line categories this year, there's a lot of categories that the Godfather weirdly doesn't show up in, like best cinematography. The Godfather is, isn't nominated, but Butterflies Are Free, which is a good movie, but not really interested anything when it comes to I mean, cinematography. Uh, like that's shocking to me. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, because I'm a huge Gordon Willis fan. He's my favorite. He's my favorite pretty much anything in, in film yeah gordon and willis that movie think, is legendary for you know the darkness in it yeah the, well that that was the thing that uh by a lot of accounts a lot of the cinematographers of the day kind of held it against gordon willis the way that he used darkness because they felt like oh that's you're not doing it right uh you, you're not you know this isn't the way that it's supposed oh, it to sense. be so he only got two nominations in his entire career and it's for zelig and the godfather part three which, which is insulting yeah like, having seen most of his films none of none of the none of the polka films none of the i mean, no, I mean nothing if you're gonna give him a manhattan or you know if you're gonna give him a woody allen nomination give it for manhattan please yeah yeah like <laughs> it's the same thing looking at this year when darius kanji got his second nomination for bardo and his only yeah. other nomination prior to that was for evita and it feels like that's a name that gets thrown around as like one of the best working cinematographers yeah and for those to be his two nominations, <laughs> really wild. Um, but yeah, so this is, I guess, one of the only categories this year where they would have been eligible that doesn't have either The Godfather or Cabaret. Yeah, that is Which that is, is how you get like a Susan Terrell and a Jeannie Berlin and a, yeah. like these cool nominations that are by no means guaranteed like that this type of movie is going to get the, the uh, uh, attention that you would hope for and that it ended up actually getting like even the shelly winters nomination like that's a a blockbuster that's a movie that gets yeah. eight nominations and uh at least one it gets two wins uh and is like 
you know, a, a populist hit, but like, that's not the type of movie that you would, well, I guess in this era, it's kind of a movie that gets a lot of nominations, gets acting nominations with like airport and the towering inferno also <laughs> yeah. got them as well. But like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's cool that Shelley Winters got that nomination for that performance, despite yeah. the fact that like the character is for part of the movie for like a significant part of the movie, just sort of like a joke of like, Oh, this, you know, that old lady is, you know, trying to get through this sinking ship. And then, but, but by the end of the day, she's the one that like saves everyone. She's the one that yeah. dives into that water and swims through and you know, yeah. keeps everyone from drowning, which, you know, it's, a, it's, I'm happy that she got that nomination, even if it is kind of wild that it happened. Um, oh, crap. I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I was going to say uh, one thing about that city that I think is interesting is that, if there was something in that movie that I would think would get nominated, it would it would be the Susan Terrell performance. She's she's the Oscar, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. She's the Oscar, you know, pushing performance in that movie. She's the explosive one. She's the one that draws a lot of the attention. Um, and she's probably like the only aspect of the movie that I, I could really see the Oscars, you know, I guess honoring. And I'm glad they did. I think that's it's. It, it really makes it, um, you know, again, it, it kind of brings a new group of people into the uh, a movie that otherwise they wouldn't watch. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And also, like, for her career, too, like, you look at this uh, lineup, and I guess three of these five have other nominations elsewhere. But, like, Susan Terrell and Jeannie Berlin, these are their only nominations. And, you know, I'm happy that the two of them have Oscar nominations to their career. Like, yeah, that those are, are not necessarily actresses that you would expect oh, well, they're bound to get a nomination at some point down the line if yeah. they don't get it here. Uh, and it, you know. it, it felt like they were paying respects to the to the the best, like the actual best supporting actor instead of just names on a page. Exactly. What it feels like to me. Exactly. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen Cabaret, so I don't remember quite what Marissa Berenson's performance. I remember liking her, but like there the, and the thing is there are other people yeah in this year that you could have pointed to like those three uh uh the the two from the godfather and her this is also uh i would maybe my winner in this year would be madeline khan and what's up doc which is sure great yeah. like there's so many things you can point to in this year uh but i'm happy that it went to the ones that it did uh i also do just want to point out uh if there was another nomination that i could see this movie getting uh like realistically it would probably be for the cinematography just because sure. conrad, conrad yeah. hall at this point like already had four nominations including a win under his belt uh and That's would true. go on to yeah. like six others including two more wins um yeah they really loved them some conrad hall and <laughs> i could see that happening but also like in a year where you're not nominating the godfather but you are nominating travels with my aunt and 1776 yeah. like yeah i don't know i don't know what was up with the cinematography branch this year like it's very very strange very strange aside from the cabaret win which is makes sense but otherwise i don't know what's going on with this category uh what else about this year's oscars do we want to this is um a, a really sort of stacked adapted screenplay year it as is. well where like you have the godfather winning and then cabaret and the emigrants and pete and tilly and sounder and like that's without nominations for 
uh, Deliverance, and I think the emigrant. No, the emigrants oh. did get nominated. Uh, but like Deliverance, oh. Sleuth, which is a really like writerly yeah. movie. <laughs> it's a very writerly movie. Uh, I think the Heartbreak Kid is yeah the the Heartbreak Kid is an adapted screenplay that doesn't show up here. There's all sorts of movies. Uh, Butterflies Are Free is based on a play. Like they they could have gone so many ways. Uh, I feel like Fat City wasn't really ever in the conversation there and didn't really stand a fighting chance again no pun intended but like yeah would have been a good nomination as well it's a really well-written movie um something i i could bring up uh is i i feel like they got the best actor best supporting actor wrong i feel like i feel like brando should have been the supporting actor and pacino should have been the best actor yeah um, I- yeah, that's a, a studio thing. I think that like Brand like they were never not going to put Brando yeah, in lead because it's I know. Marlon Brando. But uh, yeah. But at the it, same it, time, it's you know. Yeah, in hindsight, if there's a lead of that yes. movie, it is um, Al Pacino. Yeah. Do you think that um, Joel Gray deserved it over Pacino? I do. Yeah, I think Joel Joel Gray is one of my favorite winners in that entire category, uh, and I can also add this like kind of sort of squared away it's like well Pacino's not really a supporting actor so I yeah. feel not as great putting my weight but like the Pacino performance is incredible uh I I wouldn't take that away and like in a just world all like all of these actors would have Oscars for these performances because it's really stacked categories across the board but like yeah I, I think ultimately and like Pacino gets his down the line. He gets multiple nominations, multiple yeah. other places to reward him. And the Joel Grey performance is just so unlike anything else. That, sure. Yeah. Uh, That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the honorary awards this year. Oh, yeah. This is this Edward is G. Chaplin. Robinson. No. Who I love. Fan. Yeah. I'm a big Edward G. Robinson fan. Yeah. Um, and then Charles uh, Boren, which is another um, nomination. But I, I think that I think that Edward G. Robinson once is cool. Um, yes. Because you know, yeah. he's he's the classic sort of noir character actor. Um, yeah. In oh, a sense. Th- and this isn't the Chaplin uh, honorary. This is the Chaplin actually winning one this year. That's what oh, did he? What yeah. did he win? Uh, original score for Limelight, which uh, oh, that's right, that's the one like the, the like older, the, yeah, yeah, the fifties movie that didn't get a U.S. release until this year, so it was eligible this year. So he wins uh, uh, original dra- dramatic. Is score. he still alive at this point? Yes, this is okay. like he comes. I think this is the. Am I? I'm. I might be mixing things up. Um. Uh. Yeah, he had received honorary award. He had gotten one the year before, and I think that's where he gets the. 12 minute standing ovation uh yeah. but then this year the year after that he also wins a competitive award oh i'm looking at it cool. godfather did get best original score nomination it just didn't win oh did i read that wrong oh yeah God. it's because this is a uh wait i'm looking at a, a different thing that doesn't have that on. that's odd what's up with that i mean because uh uh there was i know there was a thing where like I think it got a nomination and it got rescinded, but I could sure, be misremembering. That and that's just not even listed on the Wikipedia page at all. That's strange. Unless I'm looking at the wrong category. I I could also be looking at it wrong. Um... I, I don't think so, because that does sound right. Oh, well. Oh, well. Odd sort of a, a, a 
these these sites need to get their their uh, their act together when it comes <laughs> to properly documenting things. I've come across a lot of uh, inconsistencies in, oh, in just sort the, of. I'm I'm also fascinated that Godfather was not nominated for best production design. That seems like one yeah. that would that would make sense. It's just it's a weird it's a weird. You know, you always think of the Godfather as like, you know, they won everything. But then you look at it and it's like, well, it wasn't even nominated for cinematography and production design, which I feel like are two of the, I, would, I wouldn't say standout, but maybe even, yeah, maybe even standout parts of the, the film. Yeah, like, it, it only ends up winning three Oscars and it just happens to be picture, actor, and adapted screenplay. Like Cabaret yeah. walks away with eight of, of the awards, yeah. including director and two acting. And like, uh, yeah, no, it, it is... Uh, uh, people maybe sometimes forget how, like, the Godfather winning Best Picture was not necessarily a sure thing. And yeah. ultimately, I'm glad, mostly for the legacy of Cabaret, that the Godfather does win Best Picture because otherwise, you can imagine a world where Cabaret gets tainted with the, like, oh, but it beat the Godfather. It's not as nearly as good, but like, Cabaret is an incredible movie that, uh, uh, you know, deserves the praise that it gets and the legacy that it has i i'm looking now as well and i think uh something else that's really cool is the Luis bunuel discrete charm of the uh, bourgeoisie screenplay yeah. nomination is weird the international film feature winning or is not winning did he, did he get nominated yeah, win? yeah, no, he he won. Won. yeah yeah winning is is also strange it's an odd pick but i think it's even stranger that he got a he got a screenplay nomination because that's just Especially for this time, uh, you know, the surrealist sort of like Bunuel is, is such a is such an out there pick that I would never have guessed that it would have gotten the screenplay nomination. So yeah, um, yeah, this is in a weird sort of era where every once in a while they will throw uh, a foreign film into the screenplay categories, just like because like also like those movies used to actual actually have crossover uh, appeal with the yeah. Crowd much more so than they do now, and like the yeah. academy is sort of getting back into that with like worst person in the world getting yeah. a nomination too. But like, yeah, no, that is an incredibly cool uh, nomination there that I also sometimes take for granted because that yeah that that is not at all Oscar friendly writing Oscar friendly <laughs> movie, uh, and it's cool that it got that nomination in the first place. Is that the one I can never? I get that one confused with Phantom of Liberty all the time. Is that the one where they're on the toilet, or is that Phantom of Liberty? I haven't seen Phantom of the Liberty, and that doesn't quite sound familiar. So maybe that is Phantom of the I, Liberty. Okay, all right. Yeah. I can never remember which um, one's which. So yeah, it's not like they're necessarily uh, co coherent movies that you can follow yeah. and remember specifically. Yeah, uh, that doesn't really feel like the Boonwell mo. No. Uh, <laughs> what else? <laughs> In this, oh, I do just want to mention um, in this presentation for supporting actress, it's worth noting that uh, uh, when Robert Duvall reads off the nominees, he like laughs when he reads off the Shelley Winters nomination, which yeah. is weird. And uh, like nobody else in the room laughs, so it feels extra weird. But he's <laughs> just like cracking up at Shelley Winters' nomination, and you cut to her in the audience, and she's like not having it. But well, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a weird moment, but I was rewatching. Well, the main reason I, I rewatched that uh before this is because I wanted to make sure I was pronouncing Susan Terrell's name right, yeah, because uh, I, I had been reading it in my head as Tyrell, but it, apparently it's Terrell, uh, and yeah, there's a weird little thing from Robert Duvall there, and then 
It's interesting that they had him present an award the same year he was nominated. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not, doesn't seem like a usual thing for them to do. Um, yeah. So. They'll, they'll throw that out there sometimes, but yeah, usually not. Usually you don't get something like that. I don't know. Anything else about this year's Oscars? I think this is, yeah, I don't think I'll be talking about this year again because I've already covered the ruling class, the Peter O'Toole movie. And it looks like yeah. all these others got at least one other nomination. So, uh, yeah, That's anything else? 72 checked out. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't have much else to say about this. Um, I like the movie a lot. It's definitely worth checking out if you have the time. Yeah. Um, it's short, It's which is great. It's a 90-minute movie, which in the 70s, I always, I don't know. Slow burn 70s movies always feel like they're four and a half hours, you know, yeah. or something, something long. But this was, again, 90, like 97 minutes, super short uh sweet you can it's kind of you know it's a it's, it's a it's a good watch um, exactly it's thought-provoking yeah. it doesn't feel like it's a wasted there's wasted time in it so um i can i can definitely recommend that you would you would watch this yeah um, for sure uh and with that let us move on to our uh closing thoughts so in your fantasy world where you get to pick all of the nominations uh what nominations would you have given to fat city cinematography I'm a big cinematography fan. I love I love the colors here. I love the the claustrophobia. Um, honestly, I think this is a weird this is a weird pick for me, and I, I don't think you'll maybe you won't agree. I think give Houston direction in a way because even though it's such a a stripped back film, I think that's what works for it is that it's such a it's such a relaxed movie. Um, that you kind of, if you had somebody over engineering it or, or over, you know, making it more aggressive than it needs to be, that it could really not work. It could miss its mark. Um, and I also just, you know, I like Houston. I just give him all the awards. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so that would be, those would be, those are my picks. And I would give the win absolutely to, um, what's his name? The, the main actor whose name I am yeah, now. Stacey losing. Keach. Stacey Keach. Give Stacey Keach. Give Stacey Keach, you know, all the all the all the nominations. I think he's fantastic. Um, yeah, and it's I'm you know really I, I could see him being nominated too in a in a year that is not, I guess the Godfather year. Even though only uh, Brando was nominated from the Godfather, it just it feels like you know what's the point? And <laughs> yeah, uh, so um, I you know Peter O'Toole, Marlon Brando, Lawrence Olivier, Michael Caine. You know, Paul Winfield is the only one you could really, I guess, argue that should be replaced. Yeah. And even I, then that's sounder. Yeah. So it's like you can't do that. It's it's just a stack yeah. year. It's a tough year. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I see why they didn't do it, but I wish they had. So. Yeah. I'm with you there. I would absolutely throw in a Stacey Keach nomination. I'd probably take out Peter O'Toole, even though I think he's sure. like weird in that very weird movie. And it, it works. Like I, I like that performance more than I think other people do. But even then, I would in a heartbeat throw in uh stacy keach over him uh i obviously i'm keeping the susan terrell nomination yes uh cinematography yes yeah cinematography i don't know if i'm quite there for a houston nomination i know i know i was out there i mean no like you are uh you're not wrong to to throw him in there either like it is a very competently directed movie and very well done uh for what it is trying to be uh, I just don't necessarily know if he would make my particular lineup, but it is a very well directed movie. And well, let me let me look at the directing way. award, see if I can I can rationalize it, or if I was just talking out of my head. 
I mean, it's um, a really strong Fosse. director. Lineup. It's a really strong yeah. director. Yeah, Fosse, obviously. Um, uh, oh, hold up. Okay, so it's Fosse. Uh, John Borman. Coppola, Borman. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, no, Jan uh, Troel and Joseph yeah, Bankaway. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay, yep. That's, uh, can't argue with that. Um, I wish Deliverance has gotten more awards. I'm sorry. We didn't talk about that a second ago. Yeah. But I, I should have talked about that because I love Deliverance. Yeah, uh, I'm Deliverance. a big Borman fan, so. Deliverance should have gotten at least an acting nomination. Somewhere yes. Too. Like throw in a Ned Beatty or a, or a John Voight or a Burt Reynolds in there. Like I, I can see why the uh, actors might've been uh, hesitant to reward the acting in that movie, just because <laughs> sure. of what, the, what they're going through. But like, that's a good movie. That's a, I, I'm like the fact that it even got a best picture nomination is also kind of rad. Cause that's, uh, it is, it is rad. I'm surprised it didn't get a cinematography nod either. Yeah. Um, that's a really nice looking movie. And Borman, you know, Excalibur and all that. So it's it's not like he doesn't know how to make a good looking movie. But um, it's just, that's that's another surprise to me. That didn't get it. Uh, yeah. Only gets three nominations. Wow. Picture, director, and editing. That's kind yeah. of surprising. That is surprising. Yeah. And editing is surprising as well. I would, I would have thought cinematography before editing for that movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah. good movie. So it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you for coming on and talking betcha, about this movie. I had a yeah, lot of I appreciate fun. It. Yeah. I did too. Uh, this is a great movie to come on for. So do you have anything you want to plug or anything? Uh, nope. <laughs> my letterbox. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is just Kanor, K-N-O-R, my name, uh, my last name, but, um, yeah. Uh, good time. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, looking forward to, to listening to this episode, even though I hit my own voice, you know, I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Right on. Uh, you can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.